let's generate our motivation and remember that the path we're following is a path to happiness, a path of freedom from confusion, freedom from unsatisfactory conditions. And so let's approach that path with delight, with goodness, with rejoicing, and with enthusiasm so that our mind can become like a sponge and soak up the teachings and be transformed into the nature of the Dharma. And in particular, one way we want to transform our mind is to free it from the self-centered attitude so that we can open our hearts in love and compassion to all beings and to work very happily and gratefully for their benefit, becoming a Buddha in order to repay their kindness in the most effective way. So let's generate that motivation. And so we'll continue where we left off yesterday. In um, the Brahmajala Sutra, the first sutra in the uh, long discourses in the Palagani. So we had finished the, sec- the short section on ethical conduct. And I won't read the whole, uh, sec- the other two sections, but I'll just point out the important points in them. Um, Okay, so whereas monastics, some ascetics and brahmas, feeding on the food of the faithful, okay, are addicted to uh, destruction of seeds, okay, and because the Buddha's disciples are not, uh, they they are praised, okay, because, you know, it's from seeds that crops come. If you destroy seeds, then you're destroying people's livelihood. And so there was one of the monastic rules was uh, not to destroy seeds. And for that reason, um, uh, not allowed to cut vegetables or fruits because uh, they may have, you may be destroying the seeds or there might be worms or whatever in them. Of course, nowadays the situation is completely different. Okay. Um, now there's uh, this phrase here. Ascetics and Brahmas feeding on the food of the faithful, okay? which means that they are alms gatherers. Um, some people say beggars. They are not beggars. Okay? Beggars actively ask for food. They beg for food. Okay? The, uh, the Buddha's disciples did not beg for food. 
they had their bowls. They would go on alms round. They would stand a little while in front of the house and they wouldn't say anything. And it was the people's choice whether to give them something or not. They gave them something fine. If they didn't, then they just went on to the next house. Okay, so they were gathering alms. They were not begging. Okay. Um, but the, this phrase, eating the food of the faithful, because people would give to the wanderers of all the different sects because they had faith in them that they were doing something meaningful and valuable, that they weren't just slackers, but that they were really trying to purify their mind and attain liberation and enlightenment. And so out of faith in the Buddha, faith in the Dharma, faith in the goal, faith in these people keeping precepts, they would make the offerings. So uh, here in that sentence it was saying these people eat the food of the faithful, but they do something, like in this case destroying seeds, that is not very good. Okay, And this whole section goes on about other activities that people do um, that are seen as unbecoming for monastics, and yet they're eating the food of the faithful. So this is not good <laughs> to eat the food of the faithful, but without fulfilling um, the expectations as best as one can. So the Buddha talked about... Um, four ways in commentary to uh, the uh, Numerica Discourses. There's a description of four ways in which one accepts alms. So one is as a thief. Two is as a debtor. Three is as your inheritance. And four is as the owner or the master. Okay? So... Somebody who accepts the food offered by the faithful as a thief is someone who gathers alms, accepts the food, and does not keep their precepts well. So that is like stealing from the lay people because the lay people are offering food to people who are keeping their precepts well and who are trying to practice. And so if you're not doing that, it's like stealing from them. Um, accepting alms like a, uh, a debtor is somebody who keeps good ethical conduct but they forget to, re- to recall the kindness of their benefactors they forget to rejoice in the merit that the benefactors create by making offering they forget to dedicate their own merit and make prayers for the welfare of those benefactors. And so they are accepting the food as a debtor because they haven't, uh, to put it in common language, repaid their part of the deal. You know, the food's been given with faith and they haven't reflected on the kindness and the merit and dedicated for the donor. Okay, so it's they're still like in debt to that donor. Then accepting uh, the requisites as like uh, an inheritance is for uh, any of the aryas, except an arhat or except a Buddha, but any of the aryas 
You know, those beings who have realized selflessness directly and are on the path to liberation, you know, definitely have some realization. And since they have had some uh, under glimpse or realization of nirvana, uh, and they're headed on that path irrevocably, then it's as if they were consuming their inheritance. In other words, the food would really belong to them when they were arhats, but they were eating their inheritance now because they were on that path uh, quite firmly to become arhats. And then accepting the requisites as like an owner or a master would be an arhat or a Buddha because uh, they are the ones that actually... Uh, are fully worthy of of the requisites, and one the the word arhat has many translations. One of them is worthy one. In other words, they're worthy of offerings because they have completed the path and attained liberation. Okay, so uh, this is like really, uh, you know. Uh, helping us to remember especially as monastics that we are eating the food that other people offer to us with faith and so we shouldn't uh, be careless with it we shouldn't waste it we shouldn't take it for granted but we should really remember the kindness of the people who offer it and rejoice in the merit they create by offering and dedicate for them And so that's why we do the chanting after uh, we eat the meal, okay? Because in case we uh, accepted the food and we're not keeping our precepts so well or whatever, we recite the homage to that one Buddha and the mantra. And then after that, we dedicate uh, our merit for the benefit of the people who offer the requisites. For the lay people living in the in the at the abbey, you know, lay people have uh, other people have offered to the abbey to the monastics, and then the monastics give some of the food to the lay people. So you're receiving the food of the sangha. So it's extremely important to keep your precepts in practice well, as well, you know, because it's kind of given doubly once from the benefactor, once. From the um, from the sangha, okay. So that that's quite important to do. Uh, you know the whole relationship with the benefactor and not just uh, taking things for granted. Okay. So things to avoid when we're eating the food uh, of the faithful was burning seeds. Okay. Um, here it says being addicted to the enjoyment of stored up goods. Um, at the Buddha's time, there weren't a lot of, uh, they didn't have canned goods, they didn't have freezers. So it, it, nobody was allowed to keep food. The monastics weren't allowed to keep food overnight. One, because it was a hot climate, the food could go bad, you could get sick. And number two, they didn't want to encourage the mind of hoarding because for somebody who is a renunciate, they shouldn't be hoarding, you know, and keeping something that's their own. But here it's food, drink, clothing, uh, beds, perfumes, meat, any kind of thing like this. 
Nowadays, the, the situation's a little bit different, okay? And what uh, they do is the food has been offered to the monastery, so our food is kept in certain areas that have been, quote, quote, tied up. Uh, the big Shuni Sangha, uh, you know, went through and designated certain areas uh, for the um, storage of food, and that belongs to the monastery, not to the individual. And so thereby we don't create the fault of keeping stored up food personally ourselves because it's in an area uh, that's designated as, as common property. Okay? So accepting the, the food of the faithful but remaining addicted to attending shows such as dancing, singing, music, uh, recitations, uh, um, combats of elephants, so sports, <laughs> sports events, okay, sports events, acrobatic events, uh, wrestling, parades, military reviews. So all these kind of parades and entertainment, you know, this would be equivalent to our television and uh, radio and to some extent just flipping, surfing the, the TV channels or surfing the internet, looking for things. So those, those kinds of actions, you know, are not seen as becoming in the eyes of people who give offerings to us. So we abandon them. Um, you know, and especially in the West, which, in where, you know, or at least in America, which is by and large a Protestant country. The Catholics understand having monks and nuns a little bit better, but the Protestants don't. And so many of them say, you know, why should we go to work and work so hard and give you food? Why don't you go out and get a job? We want to practice just as much as you do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can see that if we don't, if we don't live differently than a lay person, then there's no reason to accept their alms. We should get a job. Okay? But if we live differently, you know, by keeping this very strict ethical conduct, and by not engaging in all this entertainment and all the things we're going through here in the section, then, you know, we're living differently, and so it makes sense for them to make offerings. Hmm? But if we're just leaning back and enjoying life and, you know, kind of bumming around and sleeping late and accepting offerings, that's not so good. Okay, so eating, accepting the food of the faithful and being addicted to games. Okay, uh, so ball games, uh, turning somersaults, uh, guessing thoughts. Uh, dice, any kind of games, Nintendo, uh, yeah, here it is in the list, um, <laughs> okay, um, you know, solitaire on, on your website, on your, you know, your computer, those kinds of things, okay, uh, another one is, is remaining addicted to high and wide beds and long chairs and couches adorned with animal figures and uh, fleecy coverlets and, um, you know, uh, things uh, embroidered with gems, you know, uh, seats made of animal hide, um, you know, kind of 
these very comfortable um, beds and seats and, you know, this kind of thing, just luxurious and so soft and so beautiful and decorated very nicely, you know, your own hammock and, um, you know, or sitting in important places, very high places where you're respected and your, your blanket is, you know, like really nice and soft and beautiful and, you know, these kinds of things. So that, that's not so good for somebody who, who is an alms recipient, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we should be content with whatever bedding we have, whatever bed we get. That one's hard for us, isn't it? You know, we have our favorite blanket, you know, our little blankie, you know, and we like a bed that's so soft or so hard and so high, not too high, not too low. You know, we like sheets made out of certain material. We like, you know, we have all sorts of preferences about our bed, don't we? You know, and we can go to great extravagance to... Uh, you know, get the bed exactly right. So, uh, you know, just to be attentive of this, um, you know, especially if other people are providing this for us. We shouldn't have, uh, you know, the most luxurious, you know, down comforter with, you know, the most expensive feathers and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, um, you know, and couches and, you know, all the, this whole thing. Um, okay, remaining addicted to um, self-adornment, like rubbing the body with perfume, massage, bathing in centered water, uh, shampooing, using mirrors, ointments, garlands, scents, cosmetics, bracelets, um, you know, uh, decorated sandals, turbans, jewelry, uh, all, you know, white clothes, because white was the color that the, that the lay people wore. Some monastics are not allowed to wear white and black, uh, and blue and green, and those things are discouraged. Uh, but here, uh, you might ask about massage. I remember we had a discussion about this in Life as a Western Buddhist Nun, and the conclusion was if it's for um, health purposes, then it's okay because it's like going to the doctor. You know, you're doing it for health purposes. But if you're just having a massage because, you know, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, going to the spa, you know how the spa, you know, and having your nails done and the massage and the whole, um, you know, all this whole physical luxury that you get by going to a, a spa that's that's not appropriate for monastics okay things done to uh, to keep our body in good health is fine you know are fine if we do them with that motivation because we need to keep our body healthy yeah if we neglect our body and it gets sick it becomes difficult to practice so we take care of the body don't we don't we <laughs> okay, good. Glad you agree. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, then, being involved, uh, being addicted to unedifying conversations. 
such as kings, in other words, government leaders, politicians, robbers, ministers, armies, dangers, war, wars, food and drink. I mean, do you realize in this country how much people talk about food? It's just amazing. We should not be one of them. Okay, clothes, beds, garlands, perfumes, relatives, carriages, villages, towns and cities, countries, women, and I guess men too, heroes, um, uh, the local gossip, uh, people who have died, desultory chat, speculations about land and sea, talk about being and non-being. In other words, I'll talk about all sorts of wrong views. So these kinds of topics we should remain, we should not discuss. Okay, so does that mean that we never talk about politics? We never talk about world events? No, it doesn't mean that. You know, it's in, in our world we need to know something about this, not every detail, but something. And when we talk about it, we make sure we're talking about it in a Dharma way, you know, and thinking about these things in a Dharma way. Okay. So not rejoicing, oh, they, you know, the American drones flying over Pakistan killed a whole bunch of terrorists today. Isn't that great? No. Okay, that's not the way we, we talk about the news. You know, if we do it, talk, you know, talk about it, seeing it as karma, you know, either as karma ripening, as karma being created, yeah, and, uh, you know, bring in a compassionate heart and so on. Okay. Um, some ascetics and Brahmins, accepting the food of the faithful, remain addicted to dis, uh, disputation, such as you don't understand this doctrine and discipline. I do. How could you understand this doctrine and discipline? Your way is all wrong. Mine is right. I am consistent. You aren't. You said last what you should have said first, and you said first what you should have said last. You took so long to think up uh, what you took th- what you said um, took so long to think up that it's been refuted. Your argument has been overthrown. You're defeated. Go on, save your doctrine. Get out of that if you can. Okay. So quarreling over philosophy just for the sake of quarreling over philosophy. Okay just because you like to compete with other people and put people down and, you know. So not with a a mind that sincerely inquires into the the nature of of existence or anything like that. That kind of debate is quite good. But here, just, you know, kind of for show and competition. So that's something that's unbecoming. Um... Okay, so some ascetics and Brahmins remain addicted to deception, patter, hinting, belittling, and are always on the make for further gains. Okay, so monastic, who doesn't come out fully and tells the truth, but implies this or that, that's not exactly correct. They're hint, they go hinting around for offerings. Instead of saying things clearly, they flatter people. They're um, uh, belittling people to try and, you know, I'm so, I'm much better than that person. You should give to me, you know, because they're inferior. Um, 
you know, belittling others' teachers, uh, you know, just for the sake of belittling people. And generally, having the mind that's, that's on the make for further gain, on the lookout for further gain. So seeing, you know, looking around, like, okay, who can be my benefactor? You know, who might give me this? Who might give me that? Okay, and looking at uh, the lay community in that way. So that's very unbecoming. Yeah, because the monastic's job is to serve the lay community by teaching the Dharma and by acting as a good model. Okay, so that's the middle section on ethical conduct, things to avoid. Now the large section. Okay. So, whereas some ascetics and Brahmins feeding on the food of the faithful, so here we go again, okay, make their living, okay, so they're actually making a living, going out, and, you know, by such wrong means as palmistry, divination of signs, portents, dreams, body marks, um, you know, reading the leaves, all sorts of ways of... Um, you know, uh, doing fortune-telling, basically, okay? So, uh, this is considered unbecoming. Now, the question comes, well, what about Mo's? Okay, and the Tibetans do, you know, some of this kind of stuff. And they do astrology and whatever. Okay, well, there's a few different ways of looking at it. First is, you know, Buddhism went into a society where those things were practiced and socially accepted. And so uh, very often what happened is that a Buddhist meaning was given to those different practices as they were done in, at the pre-Buddhist time. Okay? So nowadays we have, you know, the Bodhisattva Peldam Lamo who is... Uh, you know, doing the, the mo's and uh, when you're offering to the gods, then they do the sampa thing and throw it up in the sampa, throw it up in the air. You offer to the Buddhas and bodhisattvas first, and then to the general gods. And so they they adopt, they gave customs that were in their their pre-Buddhist culture, Buddhist overtones and Buddhist meanings. So that's one element. The second thing is that um, probably from a Tibetan view, they would say, well, we're doing it with a bodhicitta motivation in order to be able to benefit people. And so if you can learn things in these ways, then it's okay because you're doing it to benefit people. In this verse, one I think of the strong elements is it's not just doing that action, because later on we, we come and have medicine in there too. Medicine's lifted. Clearly practicing medicine is good. But the idea is um, doing these things to earn one's living. Okay? In other words, as a monastic, we shouldn't be earning a living by charging people for the kind things that we do for them. Okay. So if you you know somebody is doing mows or whatever or you know medicine, these kinds of things, they're not charging. Of course, if people want to give donations, that's fine, but not charging and earning a living. Okay. Other things are um, base arts, such as judging the marks of gems, 
swords, arrows, weapons, you know, looking for signs on people and on animals, um, or such base arts as predicting that, you know, there's going to be a war, or they're going to retreat, or somebody's going to advance, somebody's going to surrender, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to live, so doing all this kind of predicting. Okay, um, base arts such as predicting an eclipse of the moon, the sun, a star, um, you know, so things that have to do with astrology and, and the uh, rotation of the planets and things like that. So again, it's, it's all making a living by these base arts. In other words, when you're a monastic, you should have your mind on the Dharma and not on you know, these other kinds of of skills that are popular in the society. Okay? Um, Predicting good or bad rainfall, good or bad harvest, um, predicting security, danger, disease, health, accounting, computing, calculating, poetic composition, philosophizing, Okay, so in other words, I mean, clearly some of these things that that nowadays we have to do accounting, we have to do computing. There's many of these things now that you have to do. The Buddha was was teaching at a time when the Sangha, um, you know, wasn't settled. And in a society that was a lot simpler than our society, they didn't have bank accounts and checkbooks. In fact, money was not widely Used and many people, most people did not read. Okay, so it's a different kind of society. But again, the whole idea of just making a living by these things instead of practicing the Dharma. Okay, arranging marriage, engagements, and divorces, um, declaring the time to spend and to save. Uh, bringing good and bad luck, um, procuring abortions, using spells to bind the tongue uh, or to harm somebody else, worshipping the sun or the great Brahma, breathing fire, invoking the goddess of luck. Okay, So these kinds of things, you know, we could adapt to... um, to modern day, you know, like running a dating um, website, you know, not a good way to earn a living. Yeah. When Venerable William was talking about this, because um, the the fully ordained monastics have a precept not to, um, well, the, literally the, the precept is not to carry messages between men or women, but what it involves is matchmaking. And she said, how many marriages do you know that are good? You know, and if the marriage isn't good and you were the matchmaker, then what's going to happen to you? And if you're the sangha and you made uh, you matchmaked a couple and the marriage turned out bad, you know, it it becomes very poor for the sangha. Okay, and also it's not good for a monastic's mind. You know, oh, they look so good together. Oh, I remember. What if I did that? Oh, you know, your mind starts fantasizing. So we don't do that. Um, okay, living on the food of the faithful, making their living by such base arts, 
such as appeasing the gods, um, uh, doing di- different spells, causing virility or impotence, so getting involved in Viagra, um, <laughs> uh, preparing or consecrating building sites. Okay, actually, we you know we do that nowadays, don't we? We make offerings to the other beings who are who we share the land with, and we consecrate the site and consecrate the building. But again, you know, making your living out of this. Okay. Um, giving ritual baths, making sacrifices, uh, giving purges or expectorants, giving eye, ear, or nose medicine or ointments, doing eye sur- surgery or other surgery or podiatry, or uh, using balms to counter the side effects of previous remedies. <laughs> oh, so that was going on back then too, huh? Um, Okay, so here it isn't that that treating somebody with medicine is something immoral or bad or like that, but it's just the whole idea of making your living and charging people by that and not practicing the Dharma because you're so busy with your, you know, your little business there. Okay. So uh, those are the things to abandon. And the Buddha continues, there are monastics, other matters, profound, hard to see, hard to understand, peaceful, excellent, beyond mere thought, subtle, to be experienced by the wise, which the Tathagata, having realized them by his own superknowledge, proclaims, and about which those who would truthfully praise the Tathagata would rightly speak. Okay, so remember at the beginning he was saying that praising the Tathagata for moral conduct was an inferior way of praising the Tathagata, not that because he's putting down ethical conduct, but here he's saying there are things that are more sublime, that are experienced by the wise, that um, the Buddha knows through his own super knowledge, and that he teaches and proclaims. And it's because of those spiritual realizations that then the, we should praise the Buddha. Okay? So not simply because of good ethical conduct, although that's, that's good, but because of having realizations. And now, interestingly, the Buddha gets into a whole huge part in the sutra about the 62 wrong, kinds of wrong views. Okay? And he talks about all these wrong views, which I, I won't go through now. But um, it's very interesting that what, this is what he's really emphasizing as something that is worthwhile for the Tathagata, for a monastic, is to be able to discern what is right view and what is wrong view. Okay? Because only by d- being able to discern them It's only when you know what the right view is on an intellectual level that you know how to meditate on it correctly and that you're able to realize it non-conceptually. In other words, it's not that we just sit and close our eyes and emptiness dawns on us. And it's not just that you even concentrate the mind and gain samadhi and emptiness appears. But we have to really understand What's the correct view? How do things actually exist? And what are wrong views that 
exist in our in our own mind. And so this uh, thing of really discerning right and wrong views and refuting wrong views, this is started right from the time of the Buddha. You know, in many of the sutras, the Buddha is engaging in debates with with different people because at that time people were talking about a lot of different views and is the universe does it have a beginning does it have an end is it finite is it infinite is there a creator is there not a creator is there a primal substance out of which everything comes is there not a primal substance so all these kinds of things this this talk was going on then at the time of the buddha and it continues nowadays too in one form or another sometimes using different words but very often with with similar concepts okay and so he's really saying that you know it's important for us to put our energy into to really figuring out you know what is the nature of reality and then developing the meditative ability to realize it and then of course if you're doing the Mahayana path um, you know developing love and compassion and bodhicitta and practicing the six uh, far-reaching practices okay so that's what he's saying you know doing that is what makes uh, the Tathagata praiseworthy so by inference that's what we should do we should copy the Buddha okay any questions so far yeah. Uh, there is a whole section that we will part on games, playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> there are nowadays there are a lot of games that are developed to uh, make the mind sharp or intended mm-hmm. to help one learn mm-hmm. more of that. Okay, so as far as uh, games nowadays that are developed to make the mind sharp and to help you learn. To help you learn what? A lot of... I'm thinking of certain games that are involving like... Um, I call it... Uh, I can't remember. But it, it's, it's helping the brain to be able to think. Mm-hmm. So that they use empathy for older people. Mm-hmm. So that they, it actually helps prevent Alzheimer's and things yeah. like that. Okay. So like games for older people that would help them prevent Alzheimer's I uh, two thoughts on this one is if you're really using your mind to investigate the teachings you're going to be developing those skills because you're really you know thinking about you know does this follow does this does this you know you're not letting your mind get lazy but you're you're really um, uh, thinking deeply about the teachings and I would think that in many ways that would uh, serve the same purpose as that. If you felt for some reason that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't, and if you were doing it for a medical reason, you know, so as to prevent Alzheimer's, I would think that that would be okay because it's concerning health. But here he's, you know, the thing was games that are just for amusement and wasting time. Even like, you know, games of trivia, somebody could say, oh, but you're learning so many things when you play trivia or Jeopardy or whatever. Wow. (laughs) 
you know are those really the things that are important to learn <laughs> the Dharma trivia trivia yeah <laughs> Uh-huh. Is it against our vows to go? Have you go to a fortune teller? Mm. Okay. So, is it against our vows to go to a fortune teller? Um. <laughs> my teachers, one of my teachers, I can't remember who last said this. Maybe it was Sarkar Rinpoche. You know, he was saying, um, you know, when when we go to Dharma teachings. And we hear teachings on the Four Noble Truths about aging, sickness, and death, and the importance of purifying our negative karma so that we have fewer obstacles in our life and we don't get ill and have hindrances and things like that. That everybody just listens and it goes in one ear and out the other ear and we don't pay any attention to this whole thing about the importance of purifying and accumulating merit. But if we go to a fortune teller and the fortune teller says, you're going to get sick, you're going to have problems when you're old, you're going to die, oh my goodness, I'm going to have hindrances, tell me, fortune teller, tell me exactly what I need to do. And we're like that, aren't we? You know? Because I remember I always had so many doubts. I mean, like when I would go to my teacher's, you know, I wasn't looking for a mo. I wanted my teacher's idea on something, and um, and you know, some of my teachers, not all of them, would would use mo's. And I was like, you know, I can't relate to mo's. I want to know what they think. And so I was asking somebody once, you know, well, why do they use mo's? And especially if you're supposed to have high regard for your teacher, you know. And that person said, well, that's because most people. Um, they think that if if there's a mo that then they really get the real answer because some deity or spirit or somebody some bodhisattva tells you, but that your teacher really doesn't have that wisdom, and so you know so that the teacher uses that as a skillful thing so that the people would take the advice more seriously. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, I mean, I can see in certain, in certain situations having those done might, might be useful. Going to regular fortune tellers, I don't see any purpose. Yeah. I remember once <laughs> at this holistic fair in Spokane when in her previous life she was Barbara and Susan, uh, had they had a Reiki booth. And so they arranged for us to come. I uh, thought to have a little Buddhist booth, you know. So I came and had some of our books and free distribution. And there was a fortune teller on this side and a fortune teller <laughs> on that side. They got so much business, you know. Kind of the, the Buddha's word sitting here, you know, people kind of looked and then walked by. But the both fortune tellers were like really... Yeah, and we were giving things away free. The fortune tellers were charging, I don't know how much money, but some pretty good, you know, thing. They had lots of business. And you know what I noticed is the people would go to the fortune teller and they would sit like this. And why? I mean, they were just mesmerized. 
taking up every single, you know, pronoun and preposition, you know, that the fortune teller was saying. Why? Because the fortune teller was talking about them. You know, you are going to meet the person of the dream, your dreams. You are going to be successful financially. You are going to, you know, have some sickness this in this coming year. You know, so the people were just, oh, they're talking about me. Wow, that's so interesting. They were just glued. You know, I mean, I could have told them that they were going to get sick next year too. Yeah. I mean, we were, if, I mean, doesn't everybody get sick once a year? I mean, at least every year we get some sickness, don't we? So I can predict it. You know, next year you're going to get sick. It's good if you do some purification and accumulation of merit so you don't get sick. Yeah? And next year you're going to have some difficulty with your friends. Don't you have difficulty with friends every year? Doesn't that happen every year? You know, you have something happen with somebody. Yeah, I mean, I can predict lots of things. And I have no psychic powers at all. <laughs> Just common sense. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so, no, I don't see any reason <laughs> to go to fortune tellers. Mm-hmm. I just have a question about, um, back to the being a person who receives almost like a debtor. Mm-hmm. Um, is it appropriate if you're receiving um, support to add those people's names to the sofas? It seems like that would be a nice place for that. Yeah, I think that's fine if people give you donations to add them to the soap list. I mean, the soap list is for anybody who's helped us and also people who have asked us to pray for them. Mm-hmm. So even people who don't make donations, who have asked us to make dedications for them, then we should add those people to the mm-hmm. to the list that we read out at soap as well. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I don't understand this uh, getting this as your inheritance Okay, so seeing it, if you accept the food as your inheritance. Those are for people who are Aryas. Okay, so they've realized selflessness uh, directly. In the case of the Pali scriptures, that would be stream enters, once returners, and non returners. You know, that doesn't include usually Arhats or Aryas, but in this thing here, Arhats are not, Arhats are receiving the requisites like the owners. So the idea is like an inheritance, is like when you become an arhat, you are the rightful owner. Mm-hmm. So the inheritance is like you're, you're drawing on what you're going to receive later. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, no. I mean, it's, if you're an arya and you're accepting alms, that's perfectly all right. Okay. But you're accepting, the way you're accepting them, you know, is you're you're not a thief, you're not a debtor. You know, if somebody inherits money, it's their money, isn't it? Yeah, it's their money, it's it's procured legally, and they deserve it. So if you're getting alms as like an inheritance, it's because you're wealth, you know, you have realizations, you're going inextricably towards the goal of the path. 
Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Uh-huh. Sounds very hoity-toity. <laughs> very, there sounds to me when when it says it's like, or you know, you, you need to give me what I deserve. But it's like still, even though you're an aria, people are still it's out of their kindness. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it just the way. It no, 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 no. Yeah, I think you're misinterpreting it. The arias are not saying you give me what I deserve. No, that's not it. Okay, but it's. You know, if when you're an Arya, what it means is that an Arya is a rightful possessor of the alms that they receive because they're practicing and they have realizations, just as somebody who inherits the, uh, you know, something is the rightful owner of that. Yeah, it's being passed down to them. You know, so an Arya is a rightful owner when they receive the alms. But they're not going around saying, these are my alms you should give to me. Yeah. What this whole, these four things are, are, the whole purpose of that, maybe that wasn't clear. The whole purpose of explaining these four ways of, that, that alms are received is for us to look and examine. Okay? When I receive alms... Am I an Arhat? No. Am I an Arya? No. Okay. When I receive alms, do I keep good ethical conduct? Or not? Because if I don't, I'm like a thief. If I keep good ethical conduct, but I take the offerings for granted, and I don't dedicate for the people and I don't, you know, feel their kindness and realize that they're, that they're going to a job and working very, very hard so that I have the opportunity to eat and they're giving out of the kindness of their hearts. If I don't have that awareness, then I'm like a debtor because my mind is like taking, 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 saying, gimme, 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 and I'm not doing what is a, I'm not having an appropriate response of, of dedicating and gratitude and appreciating and feeling their kindness. Okay, that's the purpose of that, so that we look at how are we accepting offerings. So then what about, and it says those are the four ways of receiving alms. Uh-huh. Like there's not another way to do it. So, if you're not going to, I mean, if you're not stealing and you're not, I mean, if you're not a thief and you're not a debtor, mm-hmm. but you're not an Arya or an Arha, mm-hmm. then what are you doing? What kind of question do you need to say? It seems like there's a large gap between being a debtor, debtor and, 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 right. and there's a way to, something in between those yeah. two. Yeah, there's, there's something in between, but, but think about, you know, what is between. Okay, maybe you're not totally a debtor. But you're not really eating the food of your family, are you? An Arya is like eating their family's food. You know, like dad, mom went to work, you're the kid and you're eating it. That's what it means by inheritance. So you're not really eating your family's food. You're not stealing. You're not, you're you're keeping some good ethical conduct. But you space out sometimes and don't dedicate. Or sometimes you dedicate but you're spaced out when you're saying the prayer. 
Or even you dedicate and you're always paying attention when you say the prayer, but you still don't have realizations. So you're kind of accepting it and that's, you know, you're not a debtor, you're not a a thief, but you're not eating the family's food either. So don't sit back and feel like, you know, you're King Kong and everybody should give you stuff. Yeah, don't be complacent and don't be smug. That's that's the purpose of, of teaching like this, even though there is a, you know, a, a big gap between the debtor and the inheritance. Okay? The Tibetans say it a little bit clearer. If you accept the offerings of the faithful, but you don't keep good uh, ethical practice, you might as well be eating the hot, burning iron uh, of the hell realm. Yeah, very clearly. They don't go through these four things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if, if, if you're just, you know, kind of wearing the robes so that you can get food and not doing your part of it, then you might as well be, you know, eating the hot burning iron of the hell realm because that's where you're going. Okay, so what it is, it's, uh, you know, I hope you feel like you should pay more attention now to your motivation when you eat and that you feel that you should pay more attention to how you practice. Yeah, I mean, that's the purpose of, of this. You getting it now? You got it? You got it or not? There's been a lot of you to just say that. <laughs> 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 I don't know, that whole description quite confusing. Um, okay. <laughs> the idea. Okay, so we'll just get to the red hot iron. <laughs> 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 Keep it simple, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah? Um, with the four root vows, mm-hmm. uh, they're the only vows we can break to lose our monastic, if we break them the root, we lose our And, like, with all of them, they're naturally negative, mm-hmm. except for celibacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to have sex isn't naturally a negative thing. So it kind of seems like it it's kind of doesn't quite, I mean, it makes mm-hmm. sense to be there, but it doesn't seem to quite be in my thought mm-hmm. or now. Okay. Okay, so the, the four, you know, the four root vows are, are usually said to be naturally negative, but what about the one of celibacy? Okay, ask yourself this. When you have sexual relationships, has your mind ever been free from attachment? No. <laughs> okay. So what kind of, if you act under the influence of strong attachment? Yeah. I think the Buddha, you know, made this one for lay people of, you know, just keeping, uh, avoiding unwise and unwise sexual behavior. Because if he said everybody would, should be celibate to not create any negative karma, everybody would flip out. You know, people, it would be too much for people. So he did something that was moderate. Okay. 
Yeah. And so just having sex in general is, isn't nearly as damaging to society as, you know, um, you know, I mean, provided it's not the unwise and unwise, unkind. I mean, rape and that kind of thing is certainly damaging to society. So it's not as damaging as, let's say, killing or stealing and lying. But if you look at it in terms of naturally negative or not, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty hard to have sex without having attachment and affliction in the mind. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't go around saying this to lay people because they freak out. But <laughs> this is, you know, my understanding. Okay. That doesn't mean you're bad. <laughs> Other questions? Okay, then we'll stop. And then we'll... Uh, actually, it's the first day that we're, we're stopping on time. <laughs> We've always gone over the other day. And then I'll do the part from here. All this one, one thing tomorrow. Due to this that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mine not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore.